So it's official, right? The Christmas season is upon us, and here's how we know this. Thanksgiving is past. It is now officially December. There is snow on the ground. I actually believe that very soon we are going to see stores start putting their Christmas merchandise on sale. Right? I, it's funny because I, I, I was in Costco. This is before Halloween. I was super offended because they've got all their Christmas trees up. And I'm like, no, 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 no. But here, for me, the official kickoff, after all that other stuff I just mentioned, the official kickoff for Christmas is when I hear Santa Claus is coming to town by Bruce Springsteen on the radio. <laughs> I still listen to the radio. That's correct. That's when it's officially Christmas. So let me just, let me get interactive here for a second. How many of you are with me and you're like, can we just finish one holiday before the next one? How many, raise your hand. Let me see. Okay. How many of you are like, no, 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 no. Fourth of July is done. Let's get Rudolph on the roof. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, that's just so weird to me. Some of you are offended that I'm offended. I'm offended that you do that. So we're even. You know, truth be told, like the Christmas story is, you know, something that we wish was in our hearts year-round, probably. The idea of generosity, Christmas spirit, uh, you know, mercy for those around us, others focused. That's just something we, we probably wish we carried year-round. And um, today, we're starting a new series that's going to take us all the way through Christmas Eve, and it's called When Love Shows Up at Christmas. And um, Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about when love shows up in generosity and mercy for those that are less fortunate than us. I'm pretty, pretty excited. And I think that if we were being honest, we would all agree that the reason we either decorate early or don't decorate early doesn't have very much to do with Christmas spirit or generosity, but more about merchandising and all the hustle and bustle that, that goes with the Christmas event. And I, I feel like culture, if we're not careful, wants to replace the Christmas spirit with a Christmas event that has very little to do with Jesus and has little to do with generosity and a lot to do with making money. So we're going to be talking about that today. I will tell you this, that in my life, uh, this, is, this is, so my wife, Susie, and I, we've been married a bunch of years. And she has two brothers that are just, you know, between, they're all just within a few years of each other in, in their birth date. And um, I'm right there with them too. So we all got kind of married right around the same time within a few years of each other. And so Christmas would come around and, you know, we'd buy presents for each other. And then we all started having kids around the same time. And uh, so then we'd buy gifts for all the kids as well as for our family and for grandma and grandpa and, and the brother and sister-in-law and all that, you know, so it got a little amped up. And then they start, as, as we had more kids, it got a little more chaotic. And we're running around trying to buy presents for everyone and ourselves and our families. Then we moved to Utah, but we still wanted to stay connected to the family. So what we would do is we'd do a gift, gift exchange via UPS, so we buy all our gifts. Literally, we would spend hundreds of dollars shipping presents across the country to Detroit. And they would spend hundreds of dollars shipping presents across the country to Utah. And then Susie's dad started getting a little bit older. He's like, listen, it's a lot of hustle and bustle for me to go around buying all these gifts. Here's what I want to do. I want you to give your kids a gift. Don't give them money, but I'm going to send you a check. So can you go shopping for me too now? 
kind of a good idea, quite honestly, but it, now we're buying for my parents, her parents, buying for him for our kids, we're buying for our kids. It just got so crazy. What I realized is I was so frustrated and focused on trying to meet everyone else's need that I couldn't enjoy Christmas. Think about that for a second. So worried about meeting everyone's needs, I couldn't enjoy Christmas. That's jacked up. But here's what's even more jacked up. You have too been in that exact place. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Here, by the way, so I'm like, well, I wonder, wonder, you know, the whole idea of Christmas is to be others-focused and be giving to others. So I wonder how generous we are as a culture. And I started looking at some of the stats. I read this. Uh, I read one article that was for, from last year, Christmas 2021. And their conclusion was that U.S. shoppers show generosity of spirit this holiday season. And literally hundreds of billions of dollars were donated to uh, you know, foundations and places that were trying to do good things. They said 70%, I think it was 70% of all consumers were looking to be generous and donate. Uh, you know, like it was, it was kind of interesting. They had, I think 75% of all adults were looking to spend time with family. They had these uh, interesting like sideways statistics around like some of the millennials are giving more than everyone else. The, the older millennials, and they, they had this statistic that said a lot of people are choosing their, where they're going to shop based on things like, are they going to have carolers there? Are they going to have like an interactive experience? Like it was really interesting. It was kind of encouraging to see. And what I began thinking is, man, we get really generous around the Christmas holidays. We get really, really generous. That's kind of, kind of cool. And so I began thinking about I wonder why we're more generous at Christmas. I'm sure there's year-end giving and some of those kinds of things, but really we're just a more generous person, people at Christmas. And so as I thought about this, I thought, how could we understand what God wants us to know about generosity? And how could we become generous people, not just around Christmas and have to wait 365 days to be generous again? How could we cultivate in our heart a way to be more generous. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to just take a couple minutes as we talk tonight. I want to look at three things. The first thing I want to look at is I want to understand or try and learn from the Bible, what does God, how does he feel about generosity? What's his opinion on generosity? And then I want to flip the coin, look at the other side and understand what does God think about us when we're not generous. Do you ever think about that? Is he okay with it? We're going to look at that tonight. And then the third thing is, how can we actually cultivate a spirit of generosity that goes just part of who we are year-round? We're thinking how we can be more generous people. That's what I want to look at today, those three things. So let's jump right in with the first thing. How does God view generosity and mercy for the less fortunate. I want to look at a really cool verse. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. How does God feel or view generosity and mercy? He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Now pay attention here. God is able to bless you abundantly so that... 
in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, did you notice any repeating, repeating themes in this? Just a little tip. If you're reading the Bible and you find repeating words, it's a point of emphasis, right? It's like you do with God. How many times have I told you? It's the same principle. I want to make sure you're understanding what I'm saying all the time, every, always, 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 and so that. And that's pretty important. You know, all things, all times, all that you need, every occasion, every good deed, I'm gonna bless you abundantly, so that, so that, so that. So three things I think we can learn from this verse just as we get going here. The first is this. He says, he loves what kind of giver? Cheerful. Let's call it a Chick-fil-A giver. You ever go to Chick-fil-A, right? Because they serve God's chicken. It's the best chicken. You go, you eat it, you lose weight, you get in shape, you get younger, closer to God as a result of eating this chicken. It's amazing. But what's even more amazing is they're happier to give it to me than I am to eat it. What's their phrase? My pleasure. My pleasure. Right. I believe that's what he's saying here. I want you to be a Chick-fil-A giver. My pleasure. Because he says, don't do it reluctantly. That's not my pleasure. Or out of compulsion. That's not my pleasure. He wants us to be Chick-fil-A givers. But he also goes on to say, I want you to be a Minuteman giver or a regular giver. And that is when he says, so that in all things at all times. If you remember in the American Revolution, you guys remember what a Minuteman is? It was a person who was a militiaman who had oriented their life in order to literally in one minute's notice be ready to answer the call of battle. In one minute. That's what he's saying here. At all things, at all times, be ready. Now, this is an interesting thing because so many of us, we actually want to be Minutemen, but we haven't lived in such a way so that we actually can be Minutemen, right? Maybe we haven't put money aside for stuff like this, or maybe we haven't thought about other people. Maybe there's a hundred reasons, but to be a Minuteman, you not only have to be ready to answer the call out of desire in your heart, but you also have to be set up to do it. So, Chick-fil-A giver, my pleasure. Minuteman giver, I'm ready in a minute. And the third is a responsive giver or the middleman giver. And that, he says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that you can, why, wait, why are we receiving this blessing? So that you can be generous. On how many occasions? Every occasion. See, resource in, not for me resource out. That's God's version. And he, I would just say for you, you know, here's, here's a little bit of a, a guideline thought for me. And we all know the golden rule, right? Sort of a guiding principle, the golden rule. And I love the way they say it in the ESV. Matthew 7 says it this way. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, why do I say that? Well, we've all been in a place in our life at some point Every single person in this room, some of us currently, some of us, it's been a really long time where we've had a need, 
right? We've all been in that place. And I'll just tell you this. I have people here, some, some of you guys that are sitting here today, some people that don't go here, that have been super generous to me. And it can be a very humbling experience. But it's an awesome experience. But here's what I'll tell you. When I have a need, and when you have a need, what are you looking for in that person that's going to meet your need? Is it the lecture and then meet the need? Is it, I told you so, I'll meet the need? Is it, I'll meet your need, but you're going to owe me? Does anyone in this room want that when you have a need? Not a single person. And this verse says, what do you want people to do to you? Do that to them. And so since we know that we want to be treated with dignity, just like this Christmas shop where we're going to treat families with dignity of helping them do something great for their family, Without I told you so, without reviewing their back, you know, we're just going to try and help them. So three things, Chick-fil-A giver, the minute man giver, and the middleman giver, all based in this idea of the golden rule. Do unto others, treat them, meet their needs the way you want your needs met. That's the first thing. Now let's flip the coin, look at the other side. So you're like, okay, well, cool. Um, so that's what he loves. He loves us when we're cheerful, but I don't always feel like being cheerful. Do I really have to be this? What about when I'm not? What about when I'm not really generous? What, is, what does God say about that? Well, I want to look at a story. You guys all learned this story growing up. If you, if you went to church, you've heard this story many times. And it's an odd children's story, quite frankly. We leave out a lot of details and we whitewash the story so that we can make it a children's story. And it's the story of these two twin cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. You ever heard of them? Great. Some of you are going, what in the world are you talking about that story when you're talking about generosity? Well, hang with me here because I want to show you something that is profound. And the story goes like this. The Lord brings two angels that look like men with him and they visit Abraham and Sarah who are in their 90s and they say, you're gonna have a baby, different story. And then, yeah, then he says, hey, by the way, your, your, uh, your nephew Lot, he lives in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, we're gonna blow that place up. As a matter of fact, here's what he says. He says, the cries of the victims in Sodom and Gomorrah are deafening the sin of those cities is immense. And he tells Abraham that he's going to go. He sends his two angels on in front of them. He says, we're going to blow that place up. It's wicked, wicked, wicked. So Abraham being a compassionate person says, okay, but God, hold on. Before you blow it up, what if I could find 50 righteous people? What does righteous mean? Someone who does what's right. Can I find 50 people? Would you, would you not blow it up? Yeah, 45 40, 30, 20, 10. Yes, deal. So God says, if you go by 10, I won't blow the city up. But guess what? Couldn't find 10. The angels arrive in Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot, the nephew who lives there, brings the angels into his house for protection because it was a really, really, really wicked place. He brings them in for protection and the guys out in the, in, the, in the marketplace start attacking the house. They want to break down the door and they're like, we want the men because we, we want to sexually assault them. I'm like, what? Huh? Lot has this genius plan to say, don't assault these men who are visiting. Let me give you my two virgin daughters who are betrothed to be married. 
huh? And the angel says, this is out of control. Zap, he zaps all the people with blindness. They pull Lot back into the house and the angel says, dude, you're leaving town because we're going to blast. This whole city is going to be gone. But for some reason, Lot is reluctant to leave. And the angels physically, as the sun's starting to come up, like this is the epic movie scene at the end, right? Can they escape in time? The sun is starting to rise. The angels literally drag Lot and his family to safety, leaving the two future husbands in town because they don't believe the story. They're like, not, we're staying. He drags them to safety. Lot's wife turns around, looks back at the city, and what happens to her? Turns to salt. Great children's story. Okay. So, okay, Mike, do you have a point? What were the sins of this city? Well, I think we can see there was some corruption going on. But I want to go to a different verse in the Bible, a different book in the Bible to find the answer to this. And we find this in the book of Ezekiel. And he calls it out straight. He says this, Behold, this was the sin of your sister Sodom and her daughters, the outlying cities. They had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and committed repulsive acts before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Wait, why? They were arrogant. They had abundant food. What's arrogant? Arrogant is this like exaggerated sense of self. I can do what I want. What I'm going to do is for me first. As long as I'm getting mine, then I can help others. He said they had abundant food. Basically everything they needed to be generous and merciful to the needy and careless ease. They had the good life. Nothing to worry about, materialistically speaking, but they would not do what? Take care of the poor and needy. And as a result, he says, we're blowing the place up. Wow. As a matter of fact, I looked at some different versions. One, the, the, the NIV says, therefore, I removed them. Since they wouldn't take care of the poor and needy, I removed them when I saw it. They literally removed them from the face of the earth. The Living Bible said, therefore, I crushed her. The message says, I did away with them. The, the living, New Living says, so I wiped her out. One, one version reads like this. The outcries of the victims here to God are deafening. We've been sent to blast this place to oblivion. How does God feel about our lack of care for those around us? It's a big deal. You see this again, even in the passage we read in 2 Corinthians, God is able to bless you abundantly. They had abundant food so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, they had careless ease, we're told. We could do the right thing, but this city refused because they had an arrogant attitude that said, me first, me only, me at your expense, me over you. And they wouldn't take care of the less fortunate. It's a big deal to God when we have the opportunity because he's given us every blessing so that at all times we can help. 
So the third thing we wanted to look at, not only what does God think about generosity, what does he think about it when we're not generous, how do we cultivate a heart of generosity so that we can live with the generous mindset at all times? And I want to fast forward now. I'm going to tell you another story. In the New Testament, the book of Luke, the third chapter, and Luke is probably one of my favorite gospels because it's just this historical document that documents the people and the events of that time. It's, it's like reading, it, it, it is reading history. But I want to pick up in chapter three. Let me just break down this passage for you. It's really cool. It says this, at this time, and he's just listed a bunch of times, so you know exactly when it is, but I'm not going to read those because you'll be bored. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Okay, wait, hold on. John was a weird dude. He's a cuckoo. <laughs> he lived, he, he wore like weird clothes. He ate like locust and honey. He lived away from people and everyone like he's weird, but apparently not so weird because we'll keep reading. He lived in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Okay. We don't always understand this, but the people in this time understood this really clearly. He's preaching against a Jewish religion. And the Jewish religion had already told you how to be forgiven. It already told you how to show that you've turned to God. And John says, that's the wrong way. I'm going to tell you the way you're supposed to do it. And the people understood that. He's, based, he's publicly challenging the system. He's about to call it a, a, a snake pit of a broken system. He goes on, he says, when the crowds came to John the Baptist, pause, in the Gospels, we read that the whole city of Judea came to see him. Now, I'm sure that's probably not quite literal, but even if there was like 1%, you're talking tens of thousands of people coming to see John. And why do you say the whole city came? Because everyone's coming to see him, right? So literally thousands upon thousands of people are coming to see John, the cuckoo. And he has this beautiful opening line. Usually when I start a message, I say something like, hi, my name is Mike. I'm one of the teachers here. John's is a little more pointed. He says, you brood of snakes. You know what a brood is? A brood is like the offspring or the, or the spawn. So you offspring of snakes, you, you spawn of the serpent. What's he saying? Who are they? They're the spawn of Satan is what he's saying. Why? Because they're not following God's plan. They've got a different plan. They're following the wrong plan. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. And he's saying not the old system, not the old legalistic broken system that's, that's, that's run by the religious power brokers at the time. Not that system, a new system. Live this way. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing for I tell you that God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Okay, don't just say, let me, let, let's bring this to America. Don't just say, but I'm a Christian. That doesn't get it done. 
Don't just say, I'm good, I'm a Christian. He goes on to say, even now the ax of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Fire. What fire would that be? Oh, the fire of the spawn of Satan, probably that fire. He's making it really clear. If you don't do it God's way, you're going in the wrong direction. And he's saying to them, call yourself Jewish, call yourself Christian. That's not the landing pad, bro. That's the starting point. You start at Christian and your life should exemplify this. And then the crowds asked this profound question. So which one's right, Calvinism or Arminianism? Wait, will the tongues and the miraculous gifts cease at one point? No, they asked this super profound question. What should we do? What do we do? So he's just made the point of saying you're on the wrong track. You're on the Satan track, not the God track. They say, all right, what do we need to do to get on the God track? And his answer is so simple and so beautiful and so pointed and so demonstrates what his heart is for the less fortunate. You must not miss this. He says, real simply, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. And if you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Oh, that's it? Just, just give a shirt? Help the poor and the needy? That's it. That's what I'm saying. Be a Minuteman giver. Be a Chick-fil-A giver. But he's not done because then it goes on. Because even the, then it goes on. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized. Now there's sinners and then there's tax collector sinners. Like real sinners. And he calls them out. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, How about us? What do we have to do? He says, collect no more taxes than the government requires. In other words, what was happening with these tax collectors, and everyone knew it, they were never going to have a problem doing this. It was just a perk of the job. You go, you collect what's due, and you take more because you can, and everyone knows you're doing it. It's just you got the good gig, so you can take advantage of these people. But he's saying, don't do that. Do what's just, as Andy Stanley would say, do what's just, not what you can justify. Do what's just, not what you can justify. What should we do, ask some soldiers, (laughs) since everyone else is asking? What about us? John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. See, these were soldiers of Rome who were there to provide safety between the Roman citizens and the Jewish population. There was tension there, and they were called to provide this safe place. But what they were actually doing is extorting and making up stories and threatening that if you don't pay me more money, I'm, I'm going to tell the Roman government, this is what you're doing, and you're going down. And if you don't give me more money, I'm not going to protect you. It's interesting, the words in the Greek, when you read this, the extort and make false accusation implies this idea of shaking violently. 
like shaking down. That's what he's saying. Stop shaking down the people. Do what's right, not what you can get away with. Then it goes on, and here's where it gets interesting. And everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Don't mistake me for Jesus. He's coming. And he's going to actually demonstrate this with the way he lives that you're not supposed to use the power you have because you're in a position of authority over someone to lord your rights over them. It's so fascinating. Philippians 2, this isn't up on the screens. Philippians 2 says it this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what is that? Who being in very nature God, trump card of all trump cards, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Wow. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. So we're talking about generosity. Why am I reading this? Because I want us to understand that the way we cultivate an attitude of generosity is not, it's not rooted in abundant resource. A generous attitude, hear me, is not rooted in abundant resource. A generous attitude is rooted in understanding that I need to elevate the value of others above myself. And understand that the power and the resources that I have been giving have been given to me so that in all things, in every occasion. God gives us position and power and resource for the benefit of others. And Jesus Christ came to earth as God himself and said, I'm not using my power to be over people. I am going to elevate others because I can. And that's how you have a generous attitude. So, The question, what should we do? I have a better question. What should I do for every single one of us in this room? And Kyle, Candace, you guys can come on up. We're going to close here. What should I do? I'm so excited that K2 is a place that we, on a monthly basis, we give away resources to people from our food pantry. I'm so honored that K2 is doing this Christmas shop. Maybe those are options you could consider. But not out of compulsion. Not because you feel like you're supposed to, but because you're a Chick-fil-A giver. And you've cultivated a heart that says, I want to do what I can to take the resources and the power and the authority that you've given me, God, to help elevate those around me. That's how you cultivate a spirit year-round. Tell you one last story. 
that uh, there was a, a beggar on the side of the road and Alexander the Great, you remember him, right? He was great. Anyway, he was walking down the road with his entourage and there's a beggar on the side of the road. That was just a joke. I don't know if he was great or not, but he, he thought he was because that was his name. So Alexander the Great is going down the road with his entourage and there's a beggar and he's begging alms from Alexander the Great. And uh, he's a wretched man. He had no right to ask him of this. There's no reason that, that, that Alexander the Great would, would do anything with this. But the emperor threw him a few gold coins. And uh, one, one of the court attendants that was with him was astonished by the generosity of him, of, of Alexander the Great. And he said, you know, wow, that was really generous of you. Um, but sir, copper coins would adequately have met the man's need. And Alexander the Great said, copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. And here's the question for us. What should I do? Am I giving out of compulsion to meet a need so I can check it off the list? Or am I giving with the attitude that God has given me power? I can give gold. Why not give gold? Even though copper will do. And whatever that means in your life, in your daily choices, in your practices, in the things you choose to be involved in, that's between you and God. And as we enter this Christmas season, Jesus Christ came for this very reason. So that we can take what he has given us in order to advantage those around us. You got two shirts? Think about what you can do with one of them. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, um, that's just a simple question for all of us here tonight. What should I do? I pray that we would all just really be asking you that very question. What do you want me to do? Not believe, not think about, not ponder. What do you want me to do? And I pray that as we humbly seek your guidance and your leadership in how to become a generous giver year-round, my prayer is that you would speak loudly and clearly and change our hearts not to be a seasonal giver only, but a year-round generous heart who wants to be merciful to those around us who are less fortunate. And once you reveal that to us, Jesus, I ask that you would make us humble enough to follow what you ask of us and do it. As we do, we pray this world would be changed and we'd be leveraging our advantage for the advantage of others. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.